Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a speaker, consultant, author, and the CEO and founder of the Creator Mindset. It's Nir Bashan. How are you doing today, Nir? I'm good. Thank you for having me, sir. Well, thank you for the opportunity to learn more about you and hear your story about your Rise of the Challenge. We're going to start right at the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So, yeah, for sure. I was uh, born in Israel and then raised here in the U.S. And um, I've been here since I was three years old. So it's been a long time, Alex. And um, basically, uh, I started kind of my entrepreneurial ship uh, when I was nine years old. I, I went door to door washing cars in Los Angeles in the 80s, which was horrible. Um <laughs> You know, we got uh, we got the door slammed in our face a bunch of times. I don't think we washed many cards because people didn't want to give us their car keys, you know, to their like brand new 1983 Ford Taurus, um, you know, the treasured family Ford Taurus. And um, so we ended up doing a bunch of auxiliary services, right? So I ended up cleaning a lot of trash cans, a lot of trash cans, you know, those big bins that, you know, you take them out to the street. So we ended up doing that. We ended up, um, you know, sweeping the porch. I, I mean, we did whatever people wanted to. We even got stiffed a few times. We would wash a car or, or whatever and go back to the house, knock on the door and, Hey, um, your trash cans are clean. We, swept your thing we agreed on five dollars and they slammed the door in our face which was kind of cool um i mean not really it's horrible but you know uh it's out of these failures i think that we learn a lot and so that's kind of my background um i've always been sort of entrepreneurial in terms of creativity where i look at whatever business i'm in and i i still remember sort of going door to door washing cars, you know, just because, you know, the statement of work or the master services agreement isn't what you're doing today doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the flexibility to give a customer really good service. So that stuck with me um, throughout my life. With washing cars and cleaning trash cans, was that something that you wanted to do or was someone pushing you to out there and make money and have that entrepreneurial side? Yeah, so I, um, you know, we grew up, I grew up very, uh, uh, you know, sort of paycheck to paycheck, right? And if I wanted to do anything, I would have to find my own way. And I kind of was forced into it just by circumstance. And, you know, necessity is the uh, mother of all invention, right? So I came up with this idea to go wash card because I knew that, um, that we could, possibly make it happen it was me and my friend and we did it um, you know for a long time um, and we ended up making pretty good money I, I mean you'd be surprised um, you know we would have so there were different customers right and some of them would be uh, just taking pity on us you know oh okay yeah they're they're nice kids or whatever and then, you know, some of them really were like, you know, they'd come out and inspect the car or look at the trash can and make sure we did a good job, make sure they got their money's worth, you know. Um, and I learned so much 
uh, Alex from that. I've learned so much. It was incredible how, you know, the different types of customers are essentially more or less the same kind of customers I work with today, right? You have the people that are cool. You have the people that are like, you know, sticklers, you know, they have to look at the paperwork to make sure everything's in order. And, you know, uh, that's after, you know, running multi-million dollar, you know, advertising agencies and my own, you know, six figure plus businesses and so on and so forth. So, um, it's, it's just amazing what you can learn as a kid if you're open to learning things as you experience them. You mentioned that sometimes you were in situations where you got stiffed out of money or customers didn't pay. At that age, what was going through your mindset like during that time? Like pure devastation, honestly. We were like devastated because it was we were doing stuff for like I think five dollars a pop maybe 250 or something like that and uh yeah we got stiffed several times and I remember like we were like we will never ever go back to that house that was like our getting back to them you know getting back at them um I'm sure if we would have told our parents um you know they would have done something my my best friend Richard and I his parents were um you know, really, really, really nice people. And they, um, you know, treated me really, really well. And I, I bet you if they found that out, they would, you know, my parents would probably be like, yeah, you learned your lesson. That's how you learn a lesson. But his parents were a little bit different. You know, they would probably have gone over and knocked on the door to see what was up. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, I think what we deal with in childhood really, shapes who we are as adults and you know we really have a choice Alex to either learn from stuff or not and a lot of us choose the not it's amazing you know we feel that you know this has been done to us and and it sucks and you know you can make a lifetime of excuses if you really wanted to look at life that way but I choose um, to look at life in in terms of a series of lessons whether they go well or not that we can always pull meaning from and and for me that meaning is always some form of creativity i think that's a great point is a lot of the stuff that happens in our past sometimes we just want to forget about it but for me i'm a person that i always take it and see how can i grow from that experience or learn from that situation and become a better person and each day I become a better person and it's just the future is growing each day. Did you have anyone that you were inspired by or motivated by at a young age? So I, you know, I started working very, very young and um, I fortunately had some really, really great bosses, right? Um, and then I fortunately also had some really horrible ones. I mean, horrific ones. And I learned just as much from both, right? You can learn just as much from things going wrong. I would argue probably sometimes more from things that go wrong than from things that go right. And so I, I've had some really, really good bosses that have taught me a lot, some of which I'm still in contact with today from when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. And, um, and that was really great because I learned, you know, I had one boss that would give me like drive-by sort of business school quips, you know, uh, stuff like, uh, you know, tuck in your shirt and comb your hair. Nobody wants to buy anything from a bum. 
stuff like that. And I was like, what an asshole, you know? And like, he was totally right though. Like you got to tuck in your shirt and like, you, nobody does want to buy, nobody wants to buy anything from a bum. And so, he, you know, he was, he was really good about teaching you how to be presentable and respectable. And, you know, it wasn't about, uh, you know, putting on a tux or something like that, but it was about just basic sort of, you know, and, and, and he would teach me like things like how to, um, how to price things, you know, you should always price things, you know, with what your competitors can absorb. And he'd say stuff like that. And I would learn so much, uh, from him. Uh, but then I had really bad, horrible bosses. Um, I worked at a, uh, uh, a framing, you know, an art framing uh, place. And, you know, the boss was sleeping with one of the employees and she was kind of using it to, you know, make her own hours. And then I would like, I, I was like, guys, I'm in high school. I can't come in at 9 a.m. They're like, go in, the, you know, you better come in at 9 a.m. or you're fired. And I was like, what? How is this even happening? And so I learned a lot from, you know, that, um, especially not to, you know, do any of that at work ever. So. Yeah, definitely. That's just, that's. Yeah, I know. Especially if you're a student and they're saying that, oh, this job's more important than your education. Uh, no. Right. Yeah. 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 He was horrible. There was. Oh man, that's the tip of the iceberg with that guy. We always have that time where we think about what dream job do we want. What was that dream job that you were wanting? I think when I was a kid, I wanted to be a card designer. I really, I have liked cards since I was very, very young, and I think that you know, designing cards was like the top of the heap for me. Um, so that was probably my dream job when I was a kid. Was that established because you were like cleaning cars and you were always around them? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a car nut. I still am. I'm addicted to it. And um, yeah, I love it. I still spend, you know, some time on the weekend detailing the car just because I love it. I'll work on like one section at a time and get it in really good shape. It's like therapy. It's just much cheaper, you know? It's like that's kind of what I do to, to zone out and to, uh, that's kind of my hobby. It's kind of a good, an escape in a way, like with, if like with work, if work's a little stressful, you know that you can go to cars or do something with a car and it's kind of like, like you said, therapy in a way. Yeah. And it's a little embarrassing to admit, you know, but I'm totally into it. I, I took a, um, I, I'm like certified. So I took a uh, class in LA that was like, you know, a certification course or whatever for auto detailing. So I can look at a car and be like, yeah, okay. The rim, the, you know, you need a little bit of the chip repair for the hood. And like, I could tell like what it needs done and what it doesn't need. So it's kind of cool. It could be a future business for you. You could get in a car. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe. You never know. Talk about what were you, your college experience? Where were you going and what were you wanting to pursue? So I went to undergrad at USC. Uh, I studied music there. Uh, it, that, that's uh, University of Southern California, not the other one. Um, I studied music there and I, I really liked it. But then I graduated and I decided to make movies because sound and audio wasn't enough. I wanted to do, you know, you're in the middle of Hollywood. So what else are you going to do? Um, so I made, I made a bunch of movies. They did really well, surprisingly. Um, then I started a production company and hired people and, you know, put out a movie and that was a disaster because 
ended up selling it uh, to Universal. So that was really good. And then I literally sat on my butt and did nothing afterwards, nothing. And I learned so much from doing nothing. Um, then I worked on a lot of albums and, and different uh, music uh, recording. Um, you know, then I, I had a furniture refinishing business that I started for a while. And then I worked, um, uh, I sold screenplays. I did that for a while. I worked in running other people's agencies. Um, I went to art center for grad school somewhere in that mix and started teaching there. I, I literally graduated school and they were like, dude, you want to teach? I'm like, I'm like 26. I was 26 or 27 at the time. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah, I think you'd be really good at it. And I actually ended up teaching in two departments. I was the youngest professor ever to teach in grad school uh, there. And then I ended up teaching at UCLA and all of these things kind of came together. And then in the last three or four years, I decided that I needed to, um, to get back to uh, get away from running other people's companies, which was, which was fun. I mean, I, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but I'm really focusing now on, on my own consulting and my own uh, writing and keynote speaking. I do a lot of keynotes. I do a lot of um, consulting. I do workshops and stuff like that. That's really what I enjoy these days, all centered around how to help businesses become more creative. So the item that you sold to Universal Studio, is it something that's well known that people would recognize today or was it kind of something small? That it was It was something small, although the return on investment was like, very very good so we ended up we ended up doing really well with it um but it, it's a movie called the kitchen i mean you can probably find it it's on amazon and those kinds of things and it it kind of it you know one thing led to another and and it was great i was with william morris uh, endeavor at the time the agency and so like it kind of like you know got a lot of momentum and ended up selling and all of this stuff so it was really cool um but what i really should have done was follow up with different auxiliary products because basically what movies are they're products they're basically a product that people consume and if they have a predictable path to consume other products in that sort of you know stream then you know that's how you can monetize the success of something like that and it's turned out that things that i learned in the film business and the music business are applicable to any business from manufacturing to medicine it just takes the ability to see the creativity in it and apply it to whatever it is that you're doing so for instance you know um i i tell people a lot that you know i worked with with famous actors like woody harrelson and you know i worked with rod stewart and all these famous musicians and these people have nothing that you or i alex don't have nothing all they have is a predictable routine of creativity. Now, you might say to me near, you know, Rod Stewart or whatever, Lady Gaga has a great voice. But then I'll say, you know, okay, for every person that you think has a great voice, I mean, turn on the radio, dude. You, you can hear, like, a lot of people that don't have, you know, a great voice, and yet they're selling albums and, and downloads and stuff like that. So um, they have a predictable routine, 
of creativity that they can keep drawing upon. Creativity, the tool, it's not, you know, not divine inspiration. You don't wait for a lightning bolt to hit and you're like, oh, I'm inspired today. Um, for me, it's far more about perspiration than inspiration. I would say 99.9% perspiration and maybe point, you know, 0.1%, in, you know, it, it's not really about getting inspired. It's about creating it. And so I wrote a book literally from all of this experience from working with kids in, a, in grad school all the way to washing cards when I was nine years old, a manual that I've learned at every step along my career about how to be more creative no matter what you do. And so the book is really about giving people actionable tools that they can use every day to become more creative. What was something that you learned about yourself during your college experience that you didn't recognize before? I think it was an ability to teach people things because I didn't know that I had that ability and until other people found it in me. Um, and I'm really not sure how they found it in me, to be honest. Uh, I would get a call in to the chairman's office. I would sit down and be like, oh, man, am I in trouble? I'd be like, no, you know, have you thought about teaching? I was like, how do you even know this? You know, there's how many kids are in the program? You know, there's what, two, three hundred, you know, students in a certain program. I think there was 500 in the advertising program. I mean, there was a lot of people. And I think, you know, I think my teachers were like, um, oh man, this is maybe something that, um, that Neer's really good at. And I think that was kind of cool that they recognized that, but that's something I really discovered. I think right in grad school, I would say, as I was going through the program, I would recognize, um, that, you know, I had an ability to teach and I thought that was really cool. I was like, okay, I'll try it. I was a little reluctant, but I said, I'll try it, you know? As an adjunct professor, what was the most challenging thing that you experienced during that time? Um, the most challenging thing uh, is probably managing expectations of students. Um, teaching is a bit like theater. It's like being on a stage. Mm -hmm. And with all the distractions these days, uh, you know, from phone to uh, machines and all the stuff that people are doing in class in a classroom um, it was really hard to sort of manage the expectations of students they I think a lot of times wanted to gain information from you in a way that was consumable to them and it was very hard to connect you know getting the message out to the receiving end of it and making sure that it it connected well so I had implemented a bunch of policies and Towards, you know, towards the last two or three semesters I was teaching, I feel like I had it, I had it down. I wasn't popular with the administration, though, um, because I would make people shut their machines off. Um, and no, no, you can't use your machines. I'd have people leave their phones in the front of the room on silent. Um, you know, that wasn't popular. I'd lock the door after the class started. I'd give people like a two, three, four minute grace period, and then I'd lock the door. And that wasn't popular. Um, but it worked. It worked really, really well. And and the message was able to be consumed much easier. And when students were given or really forced to focus, I saw that 
um, they did extraordinarily well, right? Scores went up, grades went up, you know, and some of them, I think I, uh, in one of my classes, I started just playing, you know, records for them. Um, in one of my classes, I played the, you know, the first side of, of uh, Dark Side of the Moon, you know, side A. And I, the kids would be like, hey, I'd never sat and listened to anything in my entire life. I've always had it sort of in the background, but I've never really focused. And I, I was able to develop a sense of, of focus. And I talk about it in the book, man. It's like multitasking is such a BS. It just doesn't exist. And I have the research backed for it. It just, it's some of the, it's one of the things that we think we're really good at, Alex, but we're not, right? We we can walk and chew gum, but we really need to be able to, to focus on one thing at a time and then be able to change gears into another thing. So that, that one thing that we are focused on keeps an entire amount of our mental capacity. And so... Um, so I was able to do that with the kids and it was really challenging at first because, you know, they would get restless and this is so weird. Why are we doing this? And they, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. They've never actually sat down in, you know, 15 minutes without a device with like trauma, you know? And so it developed a sense, you know, of, of, uh, of, um, an ability to, to focus. And I hope that those kids that were in my class did well. I definitely can relate to those kids. I, I mean, we have the distractions everywhere. Everyone has their phones out. People have their laptops out. And it's like one of those things where if we're like tired of listening, what's the first thing that we do? We try to sneak in a text message or we get on our laptop. So, and I think from my experience, kind of with yours, I had teachers that did similar things, but I was one of those where I'm going to have to be here for an hour and 30 minutes or an hour. So I might as well just listen. But if the topic was for you, the topic wasn't interesting. And I've had those classes where I'm like, I don't want to be in this room. <laughs> it was hard to focus because if I'm not understanding the concept, it's like, what's going to make me understand it even more if I'm not already getting it. So yeah, it was one of those where I wanted to enjoy what I was doing, but I couldn't tell you what I learned in some of my classes, like accounting. I don't even know what I even listen to half the time. So, but it's kind of like the way that you are doing it. Back then, people didn't have those devices, so they had to focus. And now, right. it's changing. I think a lot of the administration may not like it, but it's kind of a good strategy where you had it, where kids had to put their cell phones up at the front. They had to keep their laptops in their backpack and all that. Because the idea is the future may need this information for them. And if they're not going to understand now, it's going to be maybe too late for them in the future. Yeah. You know, this was, this was what, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15. So it's, it's, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And a lot of these students are friends with me now on social and they're, uh, you know, some of them are doing really well. And I'm like, uh, you know, it gives me just like a little bit of, of pleasure knowing that. And I feel like I've, I don't know, maybe they hated my guts. I, I'm sure a few did, but I feel like I've impacted them just a little bit in a, in a positive way. And that, that makes me kind of happy. Anyway, just a tiny bit can make a big difference in this. Yeah, a lot of people think it's really about the huge sort of shift. You know, it's got to be huge. And um, for me, I'm I'm a fan of the little victories. You know, I talk about I talk about little victories in the book. How you know people in business these days, um, 
all sort of chase a glorious goal, right? We, we're always looking for that main target. But sometimes if we take that target and break it up into little steps, we have the amazing potential to put those little steps together and creatively see what they what they bring. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there was a, um, a salesman who sold ice cream machines, right? And his idea was, you know, uh, I want to sell more ice cream machines, so I'm going to increase my volume. You know, volume is an analytical construct. It's not a creative construct. And so that worked for a little while, but then it gets stuck like it always does. If you don't do things creatively and combine that with the analytics, you'll always get stuck. No no doubt. That I, Listen, dude, I've made a living out of getting people unstuck. There's a lot of people stuck. So, um, so he sort of – you know, got stuck and was like, I need more volume and started making more calls and, you know, doing that sort of thing. And one day he found that there are people ordering machines, a lot of them at a particular restaurant. So he went out and saw, you know, hey, what's going on here? Why are they ordering a lot of machines? And he stood in line and the line without the door had the best burger he's ever had, right? And it was there and then that he decided to shift because he was like, this is a really great burger. And his name was Ray Kroc, right? And the company is McDonald's. So the ability to look at those little victories can lead you in a slightly different path or maybe a radically different path, but they will never lead you in the path you need to go if you're not listening to what they have to tell you. So he could have just said, oh, this is a great burger. I'm going to go back and sell ice cream machine. But he recognized that his little victories connected him. If he never sold the ice cream machines in the first place, he never would have been exposed to the burger. And he never would have had that path to sort of go down. And because he did, he formed you know, one of the biggest restaurant chains, if not the biggest restaurant chain in the world. I want your listeners to sort of look at their lives and see what those little goals are connecting them to and quit looking at the, at the goal that's, you know, at the head of it. Um, yeah, it's important to have those goals and it's important to work toward them, but I'm far more interested creatively in your listeners assembling their goals and, and, and listening to what they're, they're telling them. Like you, you know, you have a podcast, right? There is a very, very good reason that you're doing this, Alex. It's not because, oh, it's fun to do on the side or whatever. Yeah, that's what you might be telling yourself. But the fact that you're doing this and the fact that you have these skills will put you on a very specific path. You know, if you are honest with yourself and you look creatively at who you are and what you're doing, you will see that you are doing this for a very, very specific reason. And if you're able to take those little milestones, those little victories and assemble them, they might put you on a road that is incredibly interesting. Goal setting is a huge part of my life. And I always, we always have those like those big goals, but I kind of look at what are those little goals to eventually get me to that spot that I want to be because it kind of like, you can have that big goal, but it's like, how are you going to get there? What, what do totally. you get there? So those little goals, like you said, it's just stepping. That's, it's get. everything. Yeah, listen, I want to be a car designer, dude. I am a consultant now. I, I embed creativity in organizations and help increase, you know, I help increase revenue so that we can get more profit out of it. That's not some kid's dream, you know, like, but it's awesome. I mean, I love it. I, I wake up every day and, and this is my destiny. I feel like I have assembled and don't get me wrong. Like the road here, it's been lined with like, you know, 
failure after failure. So I, I don't want to come across or have your listener think that, you know, I've gotten it right. Nobody gets it right. Let it go already, right? Enjoy the ride and see sort of where these things um, lead you. And there's incredible creative potential in listening to your gut and in listening to things as they occur and taking hold of them and owning them and, and allowing that path to mature. You talked about that you worked for some ad advertising agencies and you're also been a creative director for some companies. Talk about that experience and what you've learned from working for those companies. So I, I learned a lot about client service. Um, I learned that I was able to take the experience I learned by washing cars and apply it to client service. Why? It's because you know, no matter what the paperwork says, you know, clients need this, they need that. And the needs change all the time. And the people who win on a regular basis are those who are able to stay relevant, to stay fresh, and to stay um, uh, as a provider of a product or service, no matter what that client wants. The ability to stay fresh and to service that need is an incredibly important lesson. Um, and I think that it is a noble and worthwhile pursuit. I learned a lot about how to really help people and not just help people because they're paying you. Um, there are several stories that I have of, of a service that, you know, a, 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 a product or a company uh, that put us under a retainer where I ended up delivering services that I had no dog in the fight, you know, literally no dog in the fight, but I did it because it was the right thing to do. And when you learn that sometimes doing the right thing, regardless of whether it makes financial sense to you or not is really the right thing because it makes financial sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so I learned in advertising and, and running ad agencies, you know, from the bottom all the way up, was that providing value is something that, you know, is incredibly important and will allow your relationship to, to grow, even if you're not making money in it. Did you have any skills from the time where you were doing film and audio that carried over to when you were working for these advertising agencies? Yes, so a lot of the skills that carried over were you know, extractions of creativity from different moments. Um, so I worked in hip hop. I don't know why and I don't know how, but I worked in hip hop quite a bit. I did uh, an album for KRS-One. I did work for Cypress Hill. And I don't know if you remember those. You're probably way too young, but they were, you know, pretty, uh, pretty popular. And I noticed that some people, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say who, but some people were drug addicts, right? And they drank themselves into a stupor and that's how they executed creativity. And these are really the one hit wonders. You, they're still around today. You know, you see them on the news or whatever. You're like, Oh, I remember that song from like five years ago. You know, um, the person's arrested or whatever for, you know, whatever they did cause they were drunk or on drugs. And so that you have that segment and then you have the other segment, which is, able to repeat creativity over and over again. And I learned that you can take a manual of repeatable creativity. And if you know some of the 
touch points of it, you can apply that to anything. And so I took the touch point to that and I ignored the drugs and alcohol. I took the touch point of the successful people and applied it into advertising agencies um, and was able to get uh, a, a repeatable sub, uh, prescription for success. So yes, I, I've taken tons of things from everything I've done from teaching to running my own companies to running other people's companies. I've, I've cherry picked the best of it, man, literally, and put it in to a manual that anybody can use. It's interesting to know like with definitely the, the music business, like how people come up with these songs that they create. Like we can't, unless you look at Wikipedia, you can't trust everything that's on Wikipedia. But like you said, like the, like kind of the situations or scenarios that they're in, this inspired them and gave them the creative side where we would never have known that's what inspired them to create the song. Or usually sometimes the songs are from personal experiences, but maybe they left out some important details that they didn't want to reveal to everyone. So with that, when did you know that it was time to not, like you mentioned earlier that you kind of said, I don't want to work for someone or help them run their business. I want to start my own business. Yeah, I, you know, this was about three or four years ago. I, you know, I really enjoy running other people's companies. Um, I really enjoy it. it. It's great. And so, um, and I'm able to do that today to some degree um, for some time. Um, so I, I don't throw that away, really. Um, but, you know, it's really, it's really reaching a point of financial and creative sort of uh, a peak, right? And you'll, you will realize that you reach that peak at some point in your working career where you're not making what you want to make and you are not stimulated the way that you want to be stimulated. You want to constantly be, I want to constantly be challenged. I'm sure your listeners agree, but I want to be constantly challenged and I want to make as much money as humanly possible for whatever reason. Everybody has their own reasons and that's kind of what my reason is. Uh, you know, multifold. Like we, we, my wife and I like to donate a lot of money to charity and we like to do uh, um, things with that uh, money that, that helps, uh, you know, people everywhere. So everybody has their reasons, right? And so that's kind of my reason. And I was capped at working for other people in that respect where I couldn't get where I needed to go. So um, I knew that I had to make a shift either in the way that I was approaching the market. Listen, you, you are a product, right? You are a product and a service to some degree to somebody. Somebody's paying you today, Alex, to do something for them. And that puts you in a position where you're um, able to provide that service and that product and sort of move forward. You have to realize at some point in your career that that product or service that you're offering, you can offer multiple people, not just your current employer, and then go, you know, this is something that I want to do. Listen, it's not easy. A lot of people, you know, I, I, I'm not, maybe, maybe not a lot of people, but especially in publishing, there's a ton of books out there that are like, get rich quick, um, you know, the million dollar real estate thing, one month of training and you'll make a million bucks. And, you know, I don't know, I, I haven't found that to be true. I'd love for your listeners to send me an email, 
if any of them have found that to be true, but the, the shelves are lined with books promising to get rich quick. So I, I don't want people to get rich quick. I want them to go through a process and if they get rich quick, then that's great. But like, I don't believe that that should be an end goal. I think that working through something and learning and being challenged by problems is really, really important because it sets up a, um, a base knowledge that will allow you to apply creativity and problem solving to a variety of problems. So, you know, the, the book that I wrote is really about helping you shift your mindset to creativity and not into, you know, Hey, you're going to read this thing and get rich quick. So that for me is, is really important. At a certain point, you're going to make a shift between, Hey, you know what? I I'm tired of doing this for someone else because I'm either not making enough money or I'm either not challenged enough. That's it. And that, that point is incredibly personal and it'll come to you as, um, as you, mature into a certain um, a certain point in your life. For some people, it doesn't happen at all. They work their whole life for someone else and they're fine. Um, but for some people, you know, they're, they're out of school or, you know, out of the military or whatever. And they're like, done. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. I don't want to work for anybody else. You know, it's a highly personal thing and it really depends on what you want. I think you mentioned a great point with like, if someone's goal is to get rich quick, okay, what happens after that? Like, what's next for them after you get rich? Like, it's kind of like, you kind of have to see what's your passion, what are you wanting to accomplish? And I've read those get rich books, just, I think- Do any of them work? No. Are you rich? No, I, I wish I was. It's one of, like, I think my family got me one, because they were, I think they were trying to think that I wasn't good at saving money, but they, I guess they didn't really know me because- <laughs> good at saving money and I wasn't I'm not a huge spender you can ask all my friends I'm not a spender like I, I only spend what I need to but I'm reading this book and I'm like okay this works for this person but like everyone's lives are so different that yeah how do, like we don't want to change our lives so it matches what this person does exactly and right what happens if the results doesn't happen if I do exactly what they do it's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so for me, listen, this is my sort of thing, right? I feel like everyone's born creative, everyone. And as we grow up, we become less and less creative for whatever reason. Call it school, call it society. It doesn't, doesn't really matter, right? We become less creative. And then we get out into the world and we start working. And then we are like, okay, I'm done working. I want to do my own thing. Or I'm done working for someone else. Or I'm not stimulated or I'm not making enough money, right? Okay. So you reach a point where you want to start some entrepreneurial journey, some, some sooner, some later. What I want people to understand and your listeners to understand is that that journey that you take is highly personal because creativity is who we are born with. It's part of our DNA. It's what kept us alive. And, you know, when there would be far more uh, ferocious and smarter and stronger than we were, who would kill us, basically, uh, creativity kept us alive because we were able to make a stick with a pointing thing at the end and, and keep ourselves alive. So here we are, right? It's 2020. And um, 
we have to figure out sort of what we're going to do. So for me, it is really about going back and looking at who you are as a human being and customizing that experience for whatever product or service you want to offer. So back to you, right? We're on the podcast together. There is a very good reason that you're doing this and you're a very good interviewer. Um, you're thoughtful, your questions are good, and your approach is, is sound, okay? So I'm sure that if you and I talked for a while or, you know, let's say you were to hire me to consult for you, right? I'd say, okay, we'd start by asking, I'd start by asking a bunch of questions. We'd do a whiteboard session, the whole deal. I love it. I love this stuff. But I bet you at some point we would figure out that when you were a kid, you had a camcorder or whatever, and you always recorded these shows. And that for you was a lot of meaning. Why? Because you wanted people to gain a certain bit of information. If we were able to sort of deduce your core of creativity, your core sort of meaning of who you are, then we would start to look at monetizing models. I mean, it's it's the real deal, man. And and from that core, we would be able to apply some very meaningful things that would be meaningful for you, not for me, that you would be like, dude, I'm into this. And we would be able to apply some meaningful items that we would be able to monetize and grow into a business. Every one of your listeners, every single one of them, I don't care who you are, has that creativity deep within them. But we've spent so much of our lives, Alex, running away from what our gut and what our creative sense is telling us. And we've spent so much time on the analytical. I have to pay rent. I have to make money. I have to do this, which which is important. I mean, it's important to, to do that. But at the same time, it's also just as important not to ignore what that side is telling you and whether you chip at it away, um, you know, nights and weekends and, you know, you build your business that way or whatnot, or whether you just dive straight in, you have to know what that, that essence of your sort of creative being is so that you can apply different products or services around it and start to, to monetize it. So that's kind of my, my advice to your listeners who are thinking, yeah, I'm ready. When you were explained what possibly when I was younger, I'm like, did you read a bio about me? Because you, ah. you were kind of close with everything that you were saying. It's kind of like, wow, I need to write a book about this now. Dude, I'm good at what I do. Trust me. <laughs> you're a mind reader. You're like, ah. you just met me like minutes ago. And now you're like, oh, I know all about him and everything. <laughs> How has the pandemic affected or helped your business in a way? So it, um, it cleared me out. My schedule just about cleared out, um, you know, for different keynotes and associations and workshop events that I've done. It's moved everything online. The opportunities here are, you know, kind of cool, right? So that I can shift the approach a little bit. I like being in a room with people. I like people coming up after me, uh, after the event, coming up to me and going, hey, you know, this is, this was great. Or this is the worst hour I've ever spent. I love it. Love it. Um, I get that sometimes, which is great. Um, and you know, I so I miss that. But uh, I think the the change to Zoom and to some of these mobile uh, and um, virtual platforms has been cool. So I think there's opportunity in any adversity. It's really up to you, uh, the listener, you, the the 
person to look at positives out of it instead of negatives. It's human nature to look at the negative side, um, but we need to fight human nature in order to be more and more creative. And so um, I urge your listeners to look at the positive in this and start to piece together, hey, what can I do better, different, special during this time in order to succeed? So what does the future look like for you professionally and personally? What kind of goals are you wanting to accomplish in the next few years? So I've got a few large goals, and then I'm trying to listen to the little goals that happen along the way. Um, I would really like to put out another book. I think I want to write about uh, creativity and crisis because the it's just such a topical sort of subject right now, and there's so much amazing things that can happen through crisis if people just let it uh, happen. Um, so I'm thinking about that. Um, I am thinking about doing more speaking and more consulting. I really, really enjoy that. And um, that's kind of what the future holds for me. I think uh, more of the same and more change, uh, you know, inevitably more change. And I'm excited to kind of um, keep up with changes and stay relevant as things, uh, things will forever change and forever evolve. And I'm always um, sort of, uh, willing to be uh, molded by the way that things evolve. And I'm excited actually about what, what could happen as uh, you know, as the sort of new normal comes on, I'm excited about the opportunities. In the industry that you're in with speaking or writing a book or being a CEO and founder of a company, what tips or advice would you give someone to rise to the challenge in that industry? So um, you got to work your tush off. There ain't no shortcuts. I, I'm sorry. I, I If you and your listeners find a shortcut, please let me know because I need it. So hook me up. Send me an email. Um, there are no shortcuts. And so it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of experience. It takes a lot of grit. Anybody who's telling you otherwise is probably not, you know, has probably not done it. And, you know, listen, I took me six years to write the book, six years, six years. It took to write this thing, you know, um, nights and weekends, man, because I was busy. <laughs> I was busy doing stuff. Uh, I, I'm not an academic. I love academics, right? But I'm not an academic. I didn't sit in a college room, you know, and, and, and do this. I did for a while. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm out there working and running businesses and doing things. And so um, I advise your listeners to rise to the challenge by looking deep within, finding their creative meaning in life and attacking that full throttle. Um, there is no shortcuts. There is no easy way. It's one foot in front of the other. And it's a certain sort of grit that you have to develop in any business from, from an online to a brick and mortar. You have to love what you do. You have to be passionate about it and you have to pursue it with everything that you've got. I think it's one of those things where people want the results to happen right away. And it's like, sometimes it takes time. Like, I know for me, oh yeah, I want to make this podcast big, and but it's like you kind of have to start at baby steps. Like you got to kind of get out there and brand and market and all that. So one of those things, it's like a learning experience. But each day I enjoy what I do, learning from every individual I interview. 
The final question, from your experience, what tips or advice would you give someone to rise to their challenge, to overcome obstacles and accomplish their goals? I would tell people first that we were all born creative and that they should look deep within themselves to find out what their creative meaning is, right? I think that's really, really important. That's the first thing I would tell people. And the second thing that I would tell people is that your gut instinct is telling you what you need to be doing. That is creativity trying to get out into the world and tell you what you need to be doing and, and you ought to start listening to it. I think we are dominated by fear. Why? Um, it makes sense because 50, 60, 70,000 years ago, uh, fear is what kept us alive. We didn't do anything other than go to the watering hole, which was, you know, 10 yards from our cave. And we picked the same berries every year because we knew that they were safe. We did everything in predictable and regular rhythms because we wanted to stay alive. Okay. Now it's, we're modern, right? We're in modern times and we're still doing the same thing. So I think fear keeps us away from activating what those gut instincts are really telling us. And we're forever in that cycle of not being happy, not listening to ourselves, not being happy, not listening to ourselves, so on and so forth. So for your listeners, I would say one, we're all born creative. And then two, start listening to your gut. That is what is telling you what you need to be doing. Well, Nir, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us all a little creative mindset and finding our creativity. In our cool. I'm glad. I'm, I hope it was good. Otherwise, I think everyone can definitely learn about your story and how people have to reach out and find that passion and take the baby steps. Don't go for that full throttle end goal right away. Sure. Thanks for having me, sir. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.